thank you for joining remotely, Renee. Love everything you're doing, all the smoke, all the everything. And I just want to go back a little bit and start at the beginning because for you to be a, you were in the league for what, 12, 14 years in the league and you came from a community college. So I want to go back because that's not a normal, that's not a normal route, but you overcame a route. You started out, you went to Oak Hill. Right. And that's around me. Like you went. And so tell me how that was going all the way from where you were to being in Virginia now. And I'm in West Virginia. So a lot of people I know there was OJ Mayo went to Oak Hill. There was other players that were very known that went to Oak Hill. Tell me about that experience. I grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, um, a small city, 50,000 people, uh, eight sets of low income housing, one grocery store, two high schools. So um, I was really good. I didn't know how good I was by the 11th grade. I didn't know how good I was. I was just playing basketball to actually get out the hood. You know, I, all my friends were doing the same thing, dying or going to jail. And um, that's all I was saying. So basketball was something that I was doing to get away from all that. And uh, after my junior year, we won a state championship. I played in a lot of AAU tournaments. And, um, you know, I'm the same class with Kobe Bryant, Jermaine O'Neal, Tim Thomas, Mike Bibby, Richard Hamilton. Um, all those guys, and um, that's some I really made a name for myself. And Steve Smith reached out to my high school coach, saying that um, I know this kid is not getting the looks that he need, you know, being in Texas because it's a really a basketball state. I mean, a football state, and right. um, this kid has a shot to go to the NBA. I can give him an opportunity to play at my school. I have one of the biggest school basketball schools in the country. He'll get seen, and he'll get a scholarship to go to college. And he kept his word. Um, yeah. I was able to go there. I. I uh, this is the crazy situation. I was playing. I was trying to play football, and I was on a football field running my routes. You know, getting ready for football. And my high school coach and my mom. I see them walking on the field. So I turn around. You know, I'm actually thinking. You know, where I'm from, something didn't happen. Like something happened to somebody in my mm -hmm. family. That's all I'm thinking. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. They coming on the field. They're like, uh, come on, take them pads off. I'm like, huh? It's like take them pads off. Uh, you're not. You're going to Oak Hill. You ain't playing no football. You ain't playing no football night that we sending you to Oak Hill. And uh, I'm like, what? And I end up. They end up packing me up. And my mom and her boyfriend at the time packed up a little van. We drove from Texas to Oak Hill. It was like 18 hours. And what made the trip crazy was I don't know if you ever been to the campus, but it's like no. this the whole way. In mountains, the whole oh, way. Oh no, that's West Virginia. I'm from West Virginia, so that's normal to me. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I was sick the whole ride. I was like, "Are we there yet?" But Coach Smith was a blessing of disguise because everything he said, he kept his word. I got a chance to be seen. Uh, I got a chance to go play in the McDonald's game and start with Kobe Bryant. And you were the leading scorer of that game, if I do recall. Come on now. You were the leading scorer. We talked about it, it was Kobe Bryant, Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, there were some big names in your All-Star, in your McDonald's All-American game. What was that like going there? Because you kind of took off later. You know, a lot of players, they might have been discovered younger. And so people were following theirs. But, you know, you exploded late into your high school career. What was that like at the McDonald's All-American game with all of those names? You know, it, it was special because not only like guys like Tim Thomas, Jermaine O'Neal, Mike Bibby, Richard, yeah. Rich Hamilton, those guys were close. But Ooh. as a teenager, I idolized Kobe. So I, if you if I, if I show people the footage all the time, me, me him, and Rip, Rip, Richard Hamilton was like this the whole time. And really? I idolized Kobe because everything Kobe was and sought out to be, he had his mindset on that as a teenager. We were still mm. thinking games. We were still thinking girls. We were still thinking hanging out. 
his mind frame to be one of the best basketball players to ever walk this earth. He had that mind frame as a teenager. So I, 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 I admired him for that. And uh, just to be around those guys, just to be accepted and be one of them, it meant the world to me. And when losing Kobe now, I hold, I hold those times uh, even more closer. But I was able to get um, a full ride to University of Arizona. Didn't pass my test. And um, you talking about like the ACT, SAT test? Didn't even try to pass it. I actually, you know, I'm gonna keep it real. I, I actually, I didn't, even, I didn't even try to pass it. I was, you didn't take it or I, you just went in there and you were just like, forget it? I just didn't take it serious enough to pass it. Yeah. And um, okay. the, after the first semester, they ended up kicking me off campus. And Mike Bibby's mom, man, Mike Bibby was so close. His mom didn't want me to go back to what I was used to back in my hometown because I probably would have spiraled back in that in that system. Yeah. And um, so she told my mom, well, let him stay with me. Mike, wow. is, Mike, is only, Mike is only going to Arizona one year. We, me and Mike said we was doing one year. We was going to the NBA. Okay. They ended up winning the national championship. That was supposed to be my national championship. Oh, gosh. Yes. They ended, up, they ended up winning that championship. And I understand with Mike moms the whole time. And, you know, Mike ended up getting, he, he was ended up going in the draft. So yeah. right, right before the draft, I was still standing with Mike Bibby's mom. Mike had moved off campus and uh, she took me to work out with his brother. She was like, wake up, you're going to work out. So um, I, she's never took taking me to work out, ever. I always go with his brothers or I go with Mike. So it was kind of fishy. So I, I grabbed my shoes and I hopped them. It's just me and her in the car. This has never happened before. So I knew something wasn't right. So we're not even going towards the LA fitness that we normally play at. We are on the highway going downtown. So as we on the highway, she's getting off the exit. I see the Phoenix Suns arena. I'm like, wait a minute. She had pulled now. I knew she, I knew my baby mom had pulled, but this was another level, okay? So we end up going to the tunnel. And you know, I played the NBA, so I know when you pull in the tunnel how the, the yeah. security guards are familiar with who's coming in. They didn't stop her. They spoke to her like she was normal going there. So I'm like, okay, I'm really blue. My mind's really blue now. So <laughs> get your shoes and come on. So now when we get in there, she tell me to grab my shoes. I'm already thinking, okay, you better get, if, if she tell you to get your shoes. Get your mind right. Yeah, get your game face on, dog. <laughs> yeah. Game face on. So we go to the practice gym. It's Jason Kidd, Steve uh -huh. Nash, the whole Suns team, right? So I'm like, what? I'm kind of in awe. Yeah. And as soon as I walk in, Danny Ainge like, put your shoes on, go out there and play. This was Danny Ainge. This so like, is wild. I'm like, oh, I'm 18. I'm 18 at the time. Uh -huh. So I go out there. You know what I, I destroyed. You went to work, didn't you? <laughs> and, and the main culprit was Cedric Sabalas. I'm sorry, said, but it had to be you. But I punished him for about five or six games. And I just so happened to what? get picked by Steve Nash and Jay Kidd. So I was catching lives. I was just, I just had to oh, be in the right place. Yeah. And to the point where that year they made all their trades and they only had one pick in the draft, mm -hmm. the second to last pick in the draft. And they promised me that they was going to draft me. But they was going to cut me because they didn't have no roster spots. So in my mind, cool, I'm getting drafted. Yeah. I'm going to mm -hmm. find my way. Just draft me. Just let me get in. Like get you in the door. In the system. Just let my name be in the draft. Yep. That's how I was thinking. And yeah. uh, they said it was going to draft me and cut me. They guaranteed me some money and sent me to the um, CBA at the time, which is the D-League now. But it was the CBA, which was the worst okay. thing I've ever been through in my life. It was worse. For experience. real? See, but why is that? Awesome. What was bad about that experience? Because I have heard the same thing. Usually, players didn't even used to fool with the D League. They would just go overseas and 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 play there. But why was it such a bad experience in the CBA? 
the D League now is a, a cakewalk. I would love. Oh, I it's the G League now. They done added a G to it, made it yeah, the Gatorade the League, league. So you I already wish, know. I wish it was the G League then, but the CBA <laughs> we had eighteen, like twelve hour bus rides. Oh. Not, I mean, excuse me, not in buses, no little vans. Yeah. About seven, eight, six, eight guys. Ooh. Then when you get there, you're sharing rooms. Like it, it, it was. It, it was just too much. My first day in Fort Wayne, I was playing for the Fort Wayne, uh, I think it was Fort Wayne Fury at the time. And mm -hmm. my first day there, I uh, know some of the guys, we go hang out at a bowling alley. 10 minutes in the bowling alley, two guys come in there and hold the bowling alley uh, down, rob the bowling alley to, at gunpoint. My first day what? there, yes, Fort what? Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana. My first day, I'm like, oh no. So I ended up not playing because I was I was a young guy and it was an older coach, so he wanted to play older guys. I was the only oh, eighteen. Yeah. I was the only eighteen year old in the in the in the, in the CBA at the time. That's crazy. So he he, crazy. he he kicked me off the team. End up going overseas, breaking both of my feet. Come on, Stack. Listen, listen. I broke both of my feet when uh, when when, uh, when, the, when the Suns cut me. They sent me to um, Australia. My, uh -huh. I was there for a month. I played there too. I played in Sydney. <laughs> okay, you was in the thick of things. That's dope. A month there, break my foot. Come home, try out for like 15 NBA teams. Um, I'm like Chicago Bulls. I'm with the Chicago Bulls. The next day is actual cuts for guys to make the team. So uh -huh. you know, when I, when I explain this to you, you will understand. The yeah. first camp, I had a penny on. The second uh -huh. day, I was on the second team. Third okay. day, starters. You was with the group. You was with the first group I was out. Starting five the third day, <laughs> and the and the next day was cuts. The third day, I broke my other foot. Oh, what? Go back to the hotel, call my mom, crying, telling maybe basketball might not be for me. But my mm. mom's the real one. She's like, who who am I? You you crying? Who is this? I like that. You know what I'm saying? Why? Well, damn, I was. She ain't, I was, she ain't let me be sorry yeah, for I, yourself. I, I, I'm thinking she's been all oh, baby. It's gonna be a. <laughs> she didn't give me none of that. But nay, she didn't give me none of that. She's a real one. She didn't give me none of that. So I'm like, oh, okay. I like all right. that. All right, and you know, I, I bounced around a little bit more. I went to um, Venezuela. Played in Venezuela. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and and you asked me about the junior college. I was, you know, I was only there three weeks. I didn't play a game there. Dang. So you didn't play at Butler. It was Butler, right? Yeah, I I, I went to Butler. Um, let me tell you the real story. Um, Coach Eck was offering me a whole bunch of money to come to um, to uh, Butler Community College. A whole bunch of money. And I knew I couldn't play because the, 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 the school year had already started. So I knew I couldn't play. But he was like, we're going to put you on, on the... Um, in the dorm, we're going to pay you. We're going to let you practice. Uh, you can't practice, but we're going to let you work out all that. So it sounded great. I went there three weeks and hated it. <laughs> you know what I was doing there with the money he gave me? What? Selling weed. I was taking that money <laughs> because I was trying to survive. It was, it was, it was terrible. So the money wasn't enough for you to live off of, basically. So you was flipping it. Basically. You was flipping it. Me and a couple other my teammates. And the only thing, the only reason why I stayed those three weeks because my sister was right down the street at Wichita State. My sister was All-American in basketball. Oh, you know, okay. she she had to stop playing because she got pregnant. But I think she would have been rubbing shoulders with you if she didn't get pregnant. I bet. I bet. Y'all got the genes. Yeah, she my, my sister averaged like 30 in high school. What? <laughs> oh yeah, she was okay. Okay. She, she was all right, so listen, now, so you went to all that. 
Like you, she, she ain't got all, all she that. Ain't had all, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so you went to Butler, hated it for three weeks. You was like, I'm out. At a certain point, you do get in the league. What was that like? Like finally, like making that team and, and getting to the stage. But it, I, it's funny you asking all the right questions. Um, <laughs> that year was deep because my whole journey, I get to New Jersey Nets and um, uh -huh. I play well in training camp and the star player on the team befriends me, Stephon Marbury. So oh. the day I get there, he take me shopping, buy me a, um, a Escalade truck. Like, the day, listen, he just, I, he just, he just brought me <laughs> in because he saw my passion and he saw my heart. And wow. um, I remember after, after I found out I made the team coming into the first game, they told me I was starting. And it was really emotional because I think like a week before that, my grandfather had died. No, I'm sorry. And, and I didn't know I was going to make the team yet. And like my grandfather, like he was the protector and provider for my whole family. So it seemed like as soon as he died, I made it to the NBA and like I took on that role as the protector, and, you know, because I my father, my grandfather's yeah. name was Jesse Jackson. My name is Steven Jesse Jackson. So I was named after him. Yeah. So all, all, all that had me super emotional and running out that tunnel, my first NBA game, knowing I was starting, like everything That's I had beautiful. Been, all everything I've been through, the tears, the pain, the losing, everything I've been through, it like it was just washed away. You know, I, I was yeah. here now, now it's time to make the best of it. Wow, that's crazy. And so, I mean, you had a very long career. Obviously, you belong there. What, like, for for the guys that, you know, maybe t are taking these non-traditional paths, like, you took a non-traditional path, in a sense, but now you see a LaMelo Ball who's taking non-traditional paths. How has the NBA changed since you were there? Because now the NBA, I mean, it's very, very different. Well, I think guys start to know they work. You can't be a puppet. You can't be told what to do. You can't just um, yeah. be expected to go with the steps that are the same way everybody else is doing things. You have to know your own worth. And I think that's what players are doing now. Um, they're speaking on where they want to play. They're speaking on how they get treated. They're speaking on um, on the fact that you can't tell us what to say or when to say it. You know, I, yeah. I, I think they're standing up and controlling their own narrative now. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, um, they, they can easily say that they don't want to play guys like Draymond said, but a guy can't speak speak on. He don't want to play for a coach, and I get that. You know what I'm saying? And listen, let's talk about that for a second, though, because I say this all the time. Play like Isaiah Thomas as the the ultimate example. He played. His sister passed away. Played for that organization. Played while he was hurt. They knew he was hurt, and then after the season, they just traded him away after he pleaded not to. Can you just speak on what Draymond, and, and I'm just going to say for the people that he's referencing Draymond Green said, basically it's BS that the teams can do whatever they want. They're sitting Andre Drummond until March 25th until they can trade him because they don't want to damage the goods. So can you just speak on the difference in how the league is allowed to move and how it's perceived to the media and how players, if they make a decision like a James Harden, you almost get crucified in the media for it. Well, I think what a lot of people don't know that we know that's on the outside looking in, they've been mm -hmm. doing that for years. Yeah. They tried it with Melo. They tried it with Melo. They put you in situations where you can't play to try to push you out the league because you don't fit their narrative. Are you going against the grain? They tried it with Melo, but exactly. what, what, what they messed up with Melo is you got guys like me and Matt who got the best podcast in the world who still Come on now, all the smoke. Shouts you know, to all the smoke. We, we got we got we got people like you and others 
who's standing up for players who understand that we need to control our own narrative. We need to speak yeah. up because they, they control this media side and control the narrative, not even knowing a story, not even being yes. in the locker room, not even, not even, not even uh, spraining an ankle or ever getting the ankles taped. So Crazy. they talk about all these things and don't know. And Draymond is right. Um, they feel it, it should be the same. It should be an even playing field. You can't find a player for saying he wanted to go play for somebody else but then just sit him down when he's clearly healthy to make him look bad or make him look like a cancer on the team. Or if he doesn't smile and act nice, then all of a sudden he's the bad guy. It's it's not adding up. It's not adding up, but that's how they do. And that's why we got to control our own narrative. That's why we got to continue to have the outlets that me and you have to give the player a chance to come tell the truth where, 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 where you don't have to automatically believe the other side you can hear from the horse's mouth. No, I love that. Look, I announced my retirement on my podcast. I announced me opting out, like everything. Like, no, nah, I'm just saying because to your point, at a certain point, it was basically athletes' side of the story was never heard. And so for you, your story didn't end in the NBA. You know, there was the there was the big three. Talk about that because that was a phenomenon. A lot of people at first, when the big three first came about, people weren't too sure. It had the right names and it had the right sponsorship. But then it kind of exploded, and you were a part of one of those teams. Can you just talk about that experience? Before the white, before I answer that, I gotta salute you. Listen, you. I'm honored to be on your show, and I'm honored to even have a conversation with you because to have the heart that you have, you have to be born with that. You can't be taught that, and Thank and to you. take the steps that you take, they're monumental as as the steps Martin Luther King or any any of our ancestors took. So I have to salute you because we fight in the same fight and I wouldn't be motivated to continue to fight if it wasn't for people like you. So thank you for what you're doing as well. Wow, Thank you, Stack. I appreciate that for real. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, tell me, man, don't get me emotional here, cry thug tear. But tell me, <laughs> tell me about the big three though, because that was, I mean, that was, it's a legitimate league and obviously the pandemic hit, but that league had great momentum. Yeah, it's coming back. I think, uh, I was the face of that league. I think um, yeah. I got a, I got a text from Ice Cube. Um, we did some, uh, season one, we did like two, it wasn't real games, but like trial games to see how the league was going to be. And uh-huh. I played in one of those games. And you know how I play. I play 110. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, out there, you could be my best friend doing the game. I don't know you. Yeah. So doing those scrimmages, you know, I work out all the time. So I was in shape. So I was going hard, you know, talking trash, <laughs> all that. And the rest of the NBA guys fed off my energy where that set the tone for what the league was supposed to be, was going to be like. I like that. Instead of guys So it wasn't going to be no all-star game type, nah. don't play hard. You Instead was like, I'm going to set Trying to steal checks and just get some money. And no, 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 we're going to make this league entertaining and we're going to respect the game. Yes. So I got a text from Q saying, you are the face of the league because you made this league because guys thought this was just going to be something, a, a clown league or just getting yep. checked and made it serious. So... It it, it 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 turned into something beautiful to where beautiful. you know to where we the same stars that be at NBA games and WNBA games be at our games. You know yeah. what I mean? And oh yeah, it's star studded. That's why I said you had all the pieces were there and everybody was waiting to see what was the basketball going to look like. They had Ice Cube, they had the big names, they had even TV. You know, you guys were on TV, so everybody was waiting to see, and then the ball was good, and so everybody was like, "Oh snap, they're onto something here." Are you planning on staying involved in that or? Yeah, I played I played the first three years. I know I'm one of the leading scorers in, in the league in three years, but I played last year with a Tom Patel and made it to the championship. 
and lost oh to Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was 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 unstoppable. And, but uh, he actually got a a tryout. He got on a team from that, by the way. Like he played so good in the big three that he got a spot back in the NBA. Detroit Pistons. He got a shot, but they didn't get. They didn't give him a fair shot. They brought yeah. him in as a body and then and then take him yeah. seriously. But I played. I, I made it to the championship on the Tom Patel, and I put my body through a lot to get to that point. Yeah. So I'm going to coach next year. I'm, I'm, I still play around here. Let's go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm a coach now. No, that's lit, though. You can teach a lot of people a lot of stuff. And you know what? That made me think of um, Tim Duncan. I believe he called you the ultimate teammate. And I mean, that's coming from a Spurs organization where you're forced to be a good player and teammate no matter what. Like, talk about that. What? Why do you? Why do people consider you that ultimate teammate? He's not the only one that has said that, but he's one of those notables that have said it. But what makes you that ultimate teammate that he's talking about? I think I strive to. I try my hardest to show, especially guys like Tim and my teammates, that I'm your brother. I'm my brother's keeper, and I'm a ride for you. Um, and, and a lot of this stems from me being 10 minutes away from my brother and he get, and him getting killed. You know, not being close, not being able to get there, you know? And um, I think every team you're on, and you know this too, you're with this team during the course of the year more than you with your own family. Oh yeah. So, so you you grow you grow a bond with certain guys like real blood. And yeah. Tim knew that I'd run through a wall for him. You know, and, and I think the reason why I was, I felt that way about him because it's not too many times where you have one of the best players ever to believe in you. If you look at all our clutch games, all our big games, yep. he was coming to me for big shots. Like he was believing in me. So That's for me, crazy. For me to be just trying to figure my, my figure myself out in the league to playing in Seattle and Tim Duncan and Pop calling me in the room, telling me I'm starting on that team to the point where I'm starting on the championship team and it all stemmed from Tim Duncan believing in me and embracing me like a little brother. It meant That's the world. Crazy. So I went to I, I went through a wall for him anytime. Somebody said something on the court, you know, I stepped up ready to scrap yeah. him. And, That's and my favorite people, part about it. You know what I mean? And every team needs a guy like that. And yeah, uh, Tim appreciates pl a Planet Pearson in the WNBA, where you know if somebody hits one of our teammates, she's gonna set a hard screen. Like you know something's coming. Yeah, well, I love those kind of players. Gotta have one. <laughs> and so you talk about that Spurs team. That I mean, where do you rank that team as far as champions? Y'all had multiple. Hall of Famers on that team. Where would you rank that championship team just just in your mind? Uh I think they're definitely top five. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think our 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 team was probably the best team out of all the Spurs teams because we had Tim and Dave. And yeah. and Tony Parker was a, was was coming. Tony Parker. Home. Yeah. And, we, and me and Ginobili was was at, at, at our point where we was the same stage in our career. We was trying to break out and we mm -hmm. broke out together. And I think just the dynamic of having the young talent with me, Tim, Tony, and Ginobili, and then having veterans like Steve Kerr, Steve Smith, David Robinson, yeah. Kevin Willis. Man, listen to that team. Yeah, Malik Rose, Bruce Bowen. <laughs> like you, 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 you couldn't put a team like that together. So what? I think 03 was definitely the best team to me, and I definitely think it was a top five championship team. Definitely, I agree. That team is up there. And so you talked about it, you you being your brother's keeper and, and that's what carries it over. And you you had another, clo someone close to you pass away in a George Floyd and it was highly publicized that you talked about it. Can you just, talk, where did you guys meet? Like, how did that friendship develop, first of all? Yeah, uh, I live, I'm from Port Arthur and he was from Houston Third Ward. And Port, mm -hmm. Port Arthur is basically a small Third Ward. It's like an hour away and... Um, 
a lot of the things that was going on came from Houston and we had family in Houston and, and Third Ward. So some of our friends from Third Ward used to come to Texas to Port Arthur and hustle a lot. So okay. I always played basketball on the court, on the courts while the hustling was. So a friend of mine named Telly, rest in peace, he came, he was out there one day, he was like, Jack, man, I swear I got a, I got a brother look just like you, man, a homeboy, man, y'all might have the same daddy. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? But they, they talk trash like that all the time on the court. So yeah. it's going in one end out the other. <laughs> About a, I said about a couple of weeks later, he pulled back up with Floyd. And as soon as I see Floyd, I'm like, Dang, we kind of look alike. Your dad, who your dad? You know, that, that's how much we look alike, right? Yeah. Ever, ever, ever since that moment, we hit it off because Floyd's a little older than me. He was an athlete as well. Uh-huh. And um, he's seen some of the stuff that he wanted to do in me. I had the opportunity to do those things. So, mm-hmm. so we just, not only did we look alike, but our hearts were identical. He wanted okay. to see everybody around him with it. You know, if, if he had $10, he was going to give, and it was nine people, he was going to give everybody a dollar, you know, and make sure he had one for himself. Beautiful. So that's the, that's the type of duty he was. And I think every summer, especially my first five years in the NBA, every uh-huh. summer, as soon as, soon as the season was over, I would head to Houston, pick him up. And that's why I was with the whole summer. We would hang right that's there. Crazy. In the cook, eat, smoke, with all, all the stuff we did. We just hung out all yeah. the time. He was, just, he was just that type of dude where he protected me. As you know, being athletes and being in success, you have a lot of people around you for the oh, wrong yeah. people. He never, he never abused our friendship. Never asked me for stuff just for it. He needed a rent for his mom, a clothes for uh, job, job interviews. That's the type of stuff he called me for. He never called me. So that's why I miss him so much because I know that's one person that loved me genuinely. He had your back. He had my back and he, and he was living through me. Everything I did and was doing, doing on TV, he posted it on his social media because he was proud mm-hmm. of me because he's seen himself yeah. up there. So, And our roles were similar. The only thing that separated my role to his role was he made a couple of bad decisions and I had more opportunities. If he would have had more opportunities, he would have been a professional athlete as well. But that happens to a lot of black men. In so our he area. was that good. Like he could ball. Football and basketball. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I played in Minnesota and I don't even know if you know, but in 2016, we recognized that the Minnesota police department was not where it should be. And our Minnesota Lynx team, we wore shirts to the game that said change starts with us basically. And we, we were calling out for change because yeah. Okay. So you remember that. So well, let's, let's think about that then. And now let's fast forward to 2020. Can you just talk about like what that was like getting that call? I mean, that's your friend that you spent all the summers with and, and, and for me, and I didn't even have a connection like personally to, to George Floyd, but for me, I felt like, wow, we did that in 2016, trying to make some noise about something's not right here. And our police department walked out of our game. We, they wouldn't be police of our game anymore because we did it. We got a really bad backlash. So can you just, just speak on that? Like that, we saw it four years. It's been a, a reoccurring problem until it came to a head, basically. But just think about it. You said y'all did this in, 20, in 2012, right? 2016. 2016, excuse me, 2016. Yeah. So that didn't resonate to them then, but that but that goes to show that it's not serious to them. And this is what they expect. Yeah. This is what they expect to keep happening. This was the plan when the police was, was, was created, when the first police officer and police station was created, this was the was the plan to abuse people of color. This was the whole plan. 
They got rid of slavery. They made police to find a way to put us to, to, to put us back in jail. A lot of people don't know this. A year, a, a year after slavery was abolished, mm -hmm. they started prisons, and they started arresting us for crossing the street. So this is nothing new. This is just the the, the this is just happening in time, and a, and a lot of stuff that's going on that's been going on. Like my brother, the world is seeing it now. People are able to uh, record it. But then again, that's happening and we're still not getting justice. So right. what is that saying? They're seeing it, the world is seeing it. Murder on camera and people are still not getting justice. So it's to the point now where we gotta keep doing what we're doing. We gotta start taking care of each other because the only way they're gonna start taking what we're saying serious if we start showing that we love each other, we can't keep calling each other ops and killing each yep. other over the corners that we don't own and stuff like that. Yep. And rapping about all that stuff that, that, that just making them making their job easier to continue to cause division. And we need unity. And as long as we fall in the, fall through the same games and, and not educating ourselves, we're going to continue to go through this, but the police know what they're doing. They were programmed to do this. This is the system that was built to keep us behind. I'm not surprised at all. It's crazy. And so that to me, I was I was shocked. I couldn't I still haven't even seen the full video, but you emerged as a voice, you know, like a voice of the people you emerged as your twin. You know, a lot of people started calling that's his twin. And and so can you just talk about what can people do in their own community? You know, if they want to have a voice like what is because people ask me this all the time. So I'm going to ask you the same question people ask me. But what do you suggest people do in their own communities if they want to help build it up like you're talking about and clean it up? Take care of our own communities where we don't have to de de basically depend on the police or rely on them. I think mm -hmm. it's easy when everybody that comes in the community can come together and find a way to start building businesses and recirculate, recirculating the money in their own neighborhoods without selling drugs. You know, and, 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 and me, I understand it because I know it's one or two options right now. Yeah. In the ghetto, there ain't many options. They put you in this, you in this situation for a reason. So, more, I think we have to have more people like Al Harrington. What Al Harrington is doing is he's showing all all these neighborhoods and the cities and the areas where we come from that mm -hmm. every government has a certain amount of money put aside for minority businesses, but we don't mm. know that. I didn't know that. So. Every, every state, they have to. Wow. They have to, and Al is showing people of, of color how to be business owners, start these businesses in your own neighborhoods and create your own generate, generational wealth. So when we, once we can start create, creating generational wealth in these neighborhoods, yeah. in these ghettos, it won't be called ghettos no more. We'll be able to start building them up and they can yeah. start looking like the suburbs. But we yeah. have to do that. We, we can't depend on the government to give us reparations. We can't depend on that because that's not going to happen. We got to do it ourselves. Just like we go crazy when it's a challenge on Instagram and everybody <laughs> behind it. let's get behind taking care of our neighborhood and building our neighborhood up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, all right. We can do the busted challenge and the silhouette challenge, but you better build a neighborhood up as well. What y'all doing? That's it right there. <laughs> if, if, we can, if we can have that same mind frame to taking care of each other, it's some it's, 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 it's sky's the limit what we can do and we won't need to be marching and protesting and doing all that because we're doing it ourselves i love that i love that and so it's beautiful hearing you speak because i mean you came from what you're talking about you know you've lived that life you've experienced it and so now you're taking that and you're co-hosting a podcast with matt barnes where it's called all the smoke what's this name about like how did that name just become about like what is that about 
Man, me, you know, me and Matt, we big time uh, cannabis advocates. Yeah. Um, we have a big part of the NBA not testing right now. That's uh, a big deal. Yeah, me, him, me, him, and a uh, shout out to El Jefe, Al Harrington. We've been advocates from the jump. And um, we guys that always respected it and did it the right way. You never heard about me and Matt missing games, getting pulled yep. over, nothing like that, because we didn't do it for people to see. You know what I'm saying? We did it to, to keep our bodies healthy, to be able to play yeah. the way we played for 82 games. You know, we, we played the game on another level and it helped us. And we were able to do it our whole career without getting in trouble, you know, because we Crazy. respected it. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's why people are respecting the things we say about it now to the point where me and Matt was just sitting one day and I was doing Fox and ESPN a lot and Matt was doing TV as well. Uh-huh. So Matt was like, man, we need to do our own podcast, bro. I'm like, Matt, bro, I, hey, I got you back. <laughs> this life and the after one, whatever you want to do. You know, and, and you know, Matt is a California guy, UCLA guy, real smart brother. And like Tim, yeah. like Tim told you, I'm the ultimate teammate, so I know what I do well. I entertain and I protect and provide. That's my, that's my, that's my, that's what Amazing. I do. So, but Matt is the guy with all the connection. He's, you know, he, he's a pretty boy. You know what I mean? He's a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so Matt, you know, made some calls, and I guarantee, I, I what a month, a year later. We had a podcast on Showtime called All the Showtime. Smoke. You didn't just start a podcast. You started a podcast <laughs> on Showtime. Like, that's, <laughs> like, what? That's kind of crazy, but that goes to your point. You were already doing TV. Matt was already doing TV. And y'all have this rawness about you all that, like, it's it's contagious. You want to hear you all speak more, so I'm glad you all did that. Um, speaking of that, on your show, you did you all did one of the last exclusive interviews with Kobe Bryant. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think, yeah, every, every time I, I get to talk about that, I get emotional because a lot of different reasons, you know, I, I always wanted to have a conversation. I told you I admired him since a teenager. Yeah. I always wanted to have a conversation with him about the McDonald's game. You know what I'm saying? I, I never had got a chance to ask him, you know, what he thought about it and who he thought, you know, why did Shaheen get MVP? And when I asked him, he said, you won it, right? So when he said that, that's all I needed, right? That's you all I knew. You knew. That was the uh, clarification I need. I know I should have won it. Bam. But then just getting able to spend time with him and to hear how he was so proud of us for doing yeah. what everybody uh, expected us not to be doing. Nobody yeah. expected me and Matt to, to be on TV or doing a podcast. Nobody expected us to be in the media space. And, right. and, and, and to get those props from him, to see how happy he was, to see the stage he was where he was trying to... Um, be a, a, a big pillar in, in women's basketball and, and help that grow. Just, just I, I saw the, I saw the peace in him. I saw the happiness in him with what he was doing with his daughters and um, and the father he had become and the husband he had become. Man, it, it, it was just it was it, it was just a, a great time for me. And I was I'm just honored to say that I had a chance to spend that time with my brother before before he was taken from us, man. Because I know a lot of people shit. 90% of the world wish they could have had that time with us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I watched it. It was it was beautifully done. And speaking of peace of mind and growth, so in January you converted to Islam. Can you just talk about why did you do that? Like what where did that journey come from? So it's 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 been a 7-year process for me. But a lot of people don't know. Um Wow. I had a friend named Jabril who died uh and he was Muslim. He was real close to me. Real real close. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't had conversations with Mahmoud. I had conversations with, with Neat Buck, uh, my friend, my rapper out of Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. uh, these are conversations I've been having for years about them doing my homework and asking questions and saying, one day I'm going to do it, but it had to be in my heart. And 
my when my friend Mozzie was killed, I went to his funeral. And this is my first time being at a Muslim funeral. Mm. And it's different. You know, if you really say you had love for me on this earth, you go and get the shovel and put dirt on me yourself. Hmm. That's that's how they bury you. Okay. And it's it's other things that go on, but that touched me, you know. And and I was one of the, I was the last, one of the last ones there, you know. And during the time since I've been a kid, now I know that I didn't mind being a, a guy to break the generational curses in my family because I know a lot of stuff that was taught to my ancestors, that was taught to my great grandmother, that was taught to my grandparents were lies. So I had to reteach myself. And during the process of reteaching myself, I lost a close friend, George Floyd. And that pushed me to teach myself more about standing up for my community, being a leader, because I fell into being the biggest, the, the, the face of the biggest civil rights movement ever. You did, you became the face, yeah. Protested all at one time. So I had to, Besides me doing everything from the heart, I had to stand up and just and just start teaching myself different things. Where back to Islam, um, like I said, I had been thinking this all that time. And during the time when I was in Minnesota, I started reading. I started reading the Quran because, uh, like I said, a lot of things I was taught as a kid I don't believe now. And I told myself that I was going to do it when I was in Minnesota. This is the first time anybody heard this. I told myself in Minnesota I was thinking about it, but I didn't uh -huh. do it because it wasn't in my heart. My mind was thinking it. It wasn't in my heart. Uh, I came home. Um, I think I went to Philly and I came back and uh, I, I've been talking to my homeboy, Tone Trump. And I woke up one morning. I, I just woke up one morning. Uh -huh. and, and in my body, my heart said it was time. I lied, I touched wow. my heart. It's time That's to come crazy. home. And the day I took my Shahada, I have to be honest. The day I took my Shahada, it felt like I was born, like not just a newborn baby, but like all every every bad thing, every sin, everything that mm. I committed or any wrongdoing I did in my life to anybody, it was washed away. But all my good wow. deeds, about all my good beautiful. deeds with me. So that That's that it, it was a great, it was a good day for me. And I, it was just something that it was something that was in my heart that I've been aiming to do. And uh it was only right, it was only right that I do it around this time. That was beautiful. And so I'm just going to switch gears a little bit because you meant to, you mentioned um, a rapper or an artist earlier and you were you you released an album at a certain point. I don't know if people I don't know if a lot of people know that. Was it a mixtape or was it an album? It's it was a little bit of both. It was a little bit of both. I mean, you can call it an album. <laughs> and so what's that? What did you I mean, has music always been a part of your life or that was just like. You had to get some things off your chest and you did because now we see a lot of athletes, Damian, Damian Lillard and multiple athletes now are doing music and Mon Shumpert. That's like the culture now, but you did it. Well, I mean, Kobe Bryant even, but you did it way before. What is like, what is it? People say rap and music and, and as sports are synonymous, but can you just talk about that? Well, I, I, I honestly have to separate myself from all of them because I was putting out <laughs> mixtapes during the season. I got about 10 mixtapes. What? <laughs> Yep. Hey, listen, I, I, I was doing shows after game, sold out shows after game. I was doing- I, I know you lying. Yes, yes. I I, I got songs with Future, T.I., Game, you name. I, I got so much music that I haven't released, but, I, but I've been doing music since probably- What? 2004, three, four. That's but, um, crazy. Good Trouble. Good Trouble was the last project I released. And I released it on George Floyd's birthday. 
And wow. a lot had been going on in my mind, like you said, and I had to get it out. And uh, that was this that is, has always been my way to get stuff out. You know, even with the bra, about the bra a while back after the bra that I, you know, it helped me get it out. So it was, we needed some music, music with substance. A lot of people expect music with substance to be on corny beats and not and none you can ride to. So I want <laughs> I want to change that a little bit. And two of my favorite artists from Texas released albums similar to that, Killer Kalyon and an artist uh -huh. named Payne. They 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 released albums similar to that, and that they really inspired me. Wow, that's crazy. All right, well then you just gotta all you need is a track with Beyonce. You were saying third ward, and I know that that's the similar, like that's that's that. Wow, you an artist like that. Man, I love it. I'm gonna have to go check out some of that stuff. But Stack, I appreciate you for hopping on remotely, Renee, with me. Love your story. Keep going. Nah, anytime, sis. I appreciate you. It is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.